You're listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, brought to you by Vespa, nature's catalyst for optimizing fat metabolism. Hey, good day, everybody. And uh, this is Peter Defty on the OF Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, with my co-host Naomi Land in Tomorrowland of uh, Down Under in Aussie. Naomi? G'day, Pete. I think I say g'day a bit better than you. I, I like to say bidet in my, my potty <laughs> humor. Bidet, mate. <laughs> um, and um, we have today um, somebody who's doing some really exciting work. And um, because we don't look for people who have big names or a lot of followers, we look for people who have some very interesting stories and some real useful information out there, we've got the lovely Marita Wallace, Dr. Marita Wallace, who's a postdoc in Keith Bear's lab at UC Davis, doing some really interesting things on muscle hypertrophy as it relates to uh, ketogenic diets. So, uh, welcome, Marita. Thanks, Pete. Happy to be welcome, here. Welcome, Marita. Yeah. Good day, We're excited to have you here. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look at me, man. I've got, I've got two, chi- two chicks <laughs> two from Aussie Land to, to tag team me, man. But girls, <laughs> girls, I'm going to tell you right now, menage a trois is French for in your dreams. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Marita. It'll be two against one soon. You just wait. <laughs> We're all sisters, you know, Pete. Yeah, yep. I know. And that's the scary part. <laughs> Okay, let's get on with it. Yeah. All right. Now. So, um, yes. Can I just ask you, Marita, about your story? Um, so basically, um, I guess I come from a, a sporting background where back home, a lot of Australians will know, know of this sport that I, I grew up playing netball um, and uh, I played that at quite a high level and then sort of uh, transitioned to playing tennis um, also at a, a decent level uh, for, for many years right through to my late 20s. Um, and uh, so having that sort of sporting background and um, obviously focus on uh, performance and um, doing the right things training-wise and eating the right things and then uh, from there, I uh, did an undergraduate in exercise and sports science at Deakin University in Melbourne. Um, and from there, uh, went on to, to do an honours and PhD in muscle biology and physiology, um, trying to understand, I guess, the, the things that happen in the cell to, to help make the cell grow and function correctly. Um, so with, with that background, um, you know, you would, you know, think that I had all, all of the tools to, to make sure that I, I had everything for, you know, the right performance and, uh, the right things for, for my health. Um, but you know, as, as these went by, I started to, I guess, notice things, um, about, my health and how I was feeling. Um, so, you know, back in the days when I was playing tennis, uh, one of the things I guess I struggled with was weight management. Um, always kind of struggled keeping at a, 
uh, certain playing weight. And then um, also fatigue was also a big thing that I um, really struggled with. So the the type of diet that uh, I guess I was on was a, a high carbohydrate diet, you know, the, the typical diet that was uh, that's always promoted to, to athletes. Yeah, the Australian uh, Institute of Sport diet, right? Yeah. So um, obviously we, we have a lot of uh, scientists and um, nutritionists that are, are very uh, well known uh, around the world and uh, propose um, certain dietary guidelines for athletes for, for performance. And, um, you know, this comes out from the original studies from the Swedish researchers about carbohydrate loading um, and uh, carbohydrate fueling for performance. Um, so, uh, from there, um, my sort of, uh, sporting career kind of died down and I delved more into being a researcher. And so with that, um, I wasn't exercising as, as obviously as much as I was, uh, before and, uh, but, you know, still knowing that there's a certain amount of exercise I should be doing a week and certain things that I should be eating and, you know, adjusting, you know, what I was eating in relation to the amount of activity I was doing, the whole calories in, calories out. Um, but, uh, you know, over the years I put weight on. Um, I started to, to struggle with a whole lot of things uh, like fatigue, uh, depression, anxiety, um, chronic inflammation and uh, could never really put my finger on sort of what was going on. Um, the sort of always vague symptoms that I w was sort of suffering from. And I guess uh, one day a couple of years ago, um, I was on Facebook and someone put up a, a feed about a, a movie called Serial Killers. And so um, I you know, bought, a, bought a rental to that and, and watched it and uh, I was actually, uh, I guess, quite shell-shocked to this type of research that was out there about uh, the whole the whole thing about carbohydrates potentially being inflammatory and quite bad for your health. So you can imagine someone that's always been involved in sport and around that sort of uh, environment um, and then obviously uh, coming through and being educated in the exercise and nutrition sciences uh, to, to sort of see the science that's out there showing basically completely the opposite of, of what I've been taught. Um, so the scientist in me was like, well, you know, nothing else is working, you know, what, why not give it a go? So I, um, I basically changed my diet and, um, you know, went to being a, a high fat, low carb and, you know, in a matter of a few weeks, you know, one of the biggest things that I noticed was the chronic inflammation uh, completely went away. Um, energy levels, you know, went up. Uh, weight, uh, I think, uh, it was something around 15 kilos in the space of uh, probably a couple of months that I I lost and wow. lost really and lost really easy and it, and it wasn't uh, you know in the past like you know I'd tried everything um, you know like I said I, I'm being a scientist I, I like to experiment with a whole lot of different things and uh, just the ease um, especially being a female the ease that I lost 
the weight, but um, at the same time, well, you know, I, I didn't do a DEXA scan or anything like that, but I, I could tell that I was maintaining my muscle um, was really um, surprising to me, and um, I've never, I've never done or tried out something which had such dramatic effect um, in such shorter time. Um, you know, exercise protocol, dietary, or you know, whatever um, that that had such a profound effect on on my health. So um, yeah, it's quite I, amazing. So did you transfer? Did you transition quite easily then? Um, I did have, I guess, a few issues uh, with transitioning with the diet. So, uh, oh, one of the other things that I um, had issues with was a lot of uh, gastro problems originally. Um, so I had a lot of bloating, um, a lot of uh, – I had gastritis. Um, this was on a high-carb diet, correct? This was, this was on the high-carb diet. So the main thing that I sort of had transitioning um, was still some gastrointestinal um, disturbances, but they tended to sort of settle themselves in a couple of – weeks and sort of looking at forums of people that have transitioned as well. It's quite a common, I guess, side effect of that sort of transition. Um, the other thing that I, I had was, um, well, I think I had was a, a hyper um, glycemic, reactive hyperglycemic uh, reaction to uh, the diet where um, my glucose actually dropped quite low at um, some point in time Hi, when so I it was hypo. It was actually hypoglycemic. Yes, uh, I say hypo hypoglycemic. So my blood sugar actually dropped too low, and um, I and you know going on the forums as well, it's potentially something that can can happen to people with that transition in the diet that um, your body instinctively releases adrenaline um which i did i feel i felt quite amped um at some point um so i guess for me and that was most shocking is that i say if you you do have that reaction with uh transitioning to a ketogenic diet you're more than likely uh to be someone that is in that sort of pre-diabetic insulin res resistant stage so for me that was kind of a a big shock to the system that my health had actually dropped that low. But, um, you know, th th these are, you know, things which um, can happen with the transition. So it's just a matter of then, um, you know, making sure that when you do do the transition that you're doing it on a, a well-formulated ketogenic diet. Yeah, one that's individualized for you and your situation. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I'll, I'll quite honestly um, say that, you know, being a scientist, I'm just like, oh, I'll give it a crack and uh, we'll see how it goes. And so obviously from having that experience, I'm just like, okay, there, there must be a few things that I need to fine tune. And uh, from there, I kind of uh, I backed off. Uh, I'm a kind of person that will just go like a, um, just go straight at it. And so I probably dropped my carbohydrates too much too quickly uh, so from that point of view I, I kind of upped the carbohydrates a little bit not too much um, and then uh, gradually brought it back down again oh, wow that's super now um, 
I'm going to speak from the male perspective because there's there's a lot of very conflicting information out there about uh, doing fat adaptation keto for females because let's face it, uh, and I'll be the first one to admit it, there's a lot of uh, men out there who are quote-unquote experts in this and they're sort of dictating how it is out mm-hmm. there. So we get, you know, we're, we, we, I think rightfully to a certain degree, get bashed for telling women that, you know, they're not doing it right or not dropping. And it's, and so there's a lot of conflicting information because you have a lot of female quote unquote experts out there saying that, uh, keto is not appropriate for women. And, um, you know, that women do need glucose. And, and I think it's a much more complex picture, um, yeah. because there, there are a lot of women out there who are, are being quite successful at both from an adaptation standpoint, but also adaptation and performance. So, as a female and a PhD in biology working in a world-class lab, could you speak to that from your own experience? Um, well, to be completely honest, I personally, um, I don't think there's, from what I can tell, any real issue with um, going on a ketogenic diet. Um, I know... Um, at least from, you know, the menstrual cycle side of things, um, I find that my symptoms are a lot better controlled. I'm not someone that uh, typically in the past anyway that suffered from a, a, a lot of uh, issues with, uh, you know, menstrual cycle and that sort of thing. But, um, you know, when I did, uh, you know, cramping and, and bloating and that sort of side of things, I find were definitely... Uh, it's much better controlled, um, and so I, I could imagine people who potentially suffer more sort of side effects uh, uh, with their uh, menstrual cycle potentially could control um, their symptoms a lot better on on the diet. Um, and um, the other thing as well. Um, one of one of the main uh, diseases or conditions that people um, talk about that could be um, related to carbohydrate intolerance is uh, polycystic ovary uh, syndrome. So, um, and uh, people going on the ketogenic diet, um, from what I know, there's there hasn't been a whole lot of research with it, but. At least anecdotally, uh, there seems to be a lot of positive uh, feedback about the diet and the control of uh, the symptoms with that condition. Yeah, no, it's pretty well agreed upon. Like you said, there hasn't been a lot of a body of science developed for this yet. But mm-hmm. It's pretty much agreed upon that PCOS is, is essentially a manifestation of insulin resistance in females. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know I had that same problem when trying to fall pregnant with all of my children so and um, that was the high carb low fat stage of my life and I I really believe that that like even though there's no anecdotal evidence I really believe that that was the common cause mm-hmm. yeah did you get um, mid luteal cravings and um, did it control your inflammation around you know the times of of that mid-luteal phase, but also around the periods time? Uh, yeah, definitely. I um, s- still notice that uh, I do get cravings around uh, that 
that period and obviously the cravings are for chocolate and ice cream and and uh, romance novels and, yeah and chick, with chick flicks and <laughs> and all that sort of thing yeah um so oh, I guess the thing that I've sort of found is the key thing is to push through it. Um, so the first, you know, day or two that you do start feeling those cravings, I think um, it, for whatever reason, it, I think it's still quite a natural thing to happen. But once you sort of push through that, um, when you get further along in your um, menstrual cycle, the, the symptoms that come along at, at that point in time are much better managed, at, at least from my perspective, that's what I've sort of experienced. Yeah. It, yes, it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you'll see a lot of people saying this, um, and they're, you know, they're females because they're the ones going through this, and, and I think it's about context because when people say, oh, during mid-lethal, these ketogenic people are wrong, they need more, a uh, female needs to have add some carbohydrates to their diet from mid-luteal up through menses. And essentially, if you're in that carbohydrate paradigm, you're going to get carbohydrate-based results. So if you're carbohydrate-dependent, you're burning through your carbohydrate very quickly because, as you know, Marita and Nomi, glucose is very tightly controlled in humans. So um, if you're glucose-dependent and burning through extra glucose because you're in that inflammatory period of uh, mid-luteal, mm -hmm. uh, I can see where people need to have more carbs. But what a lot of these people don't understand, if you're properly fat-adapted, ketogenic, um, you can, as you have you've experienced and done, you can resist those, those cravings are there, but you can resist them. And the inflammation is, is sharply lower. And this is exactly consistent with what I've heard from all my female athletes. Yeah, and that um, is especially important to to keep that inflammation down because um, um, systematic inflammation is, is um, a real issue um, with a, a lot of chronic diseases. And I, I guess from my perspective, um, looking at muscle and muscle aging and maintenance, um, inflammation has a big effect on um, whether... Uh, well, it has a big effect on muscle maintenance um, and potentially uh, specific proteins involved in uh, force transfer, which is important for muscle strength. Yes. And what about um, things like cancer and um, blood diseases and those sorts of things? Uh, yeah, so there is uh, quite a bit of research out there. Um, Jeff Volick is uh, one of the, the big ones out there with the ketogenic diet that um, he at least uh, showed in his, uh, I think that were type 2 diabetic patients that uh, with the um, ketogenic diet that there was massive reductions in uh, inflammation. Um, and there's been quite a, a few other researchers that have shown improvements in the immune system uh, when they're on the ketogenic diet. Yeah, I think uh, the, there's... Um, so... Gonna... Uh... Oops, sorry. Um, let me step on you for just a second. I think, I think Jeff's gonna ha Jeff has some pretty significant data from FASTER that's uh, going to be published in one or two of the next papers coming out. Mm -hmm. Um 
you know, between the two cohorts of ultra runners. So um, look for that. I think you're 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 on to something big there. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that because, um, like I we had in our discussion the other day, is that uh, potentially ketogenic diets. Uh, a lot of the the athletes that you've been talking to talk about the um, improvement in recovery. Um, that they have from run to run and the the question sort of thrown out there uh, by my PI, Dr. Barr, was, well, is that because the the muscles are being less damaged or is it are they recovering faster from the damage? And, um, well, the, the theory potentially is, is that the muscles are not being damaged as much um, when... Uh, they're on the ketogenic diet. Well, well, as an empiricist and, and just something beyond a her, her, heretic, because Steve Finney's the heretic, so I'm some, somewhere beyond <laughs> that because I don't have a degree. Um, I've already been saying that for years. Like I said, I'm reframing that recovery thing because it's not because you recover faster, it's because you don't do the damage in the first place. And, and Naomi, you've seen that in, in this transition, being on the Vespa, your recovery is just night and day. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And you can see it in the athletes as well. Like I coach quite a few athletes that have had adapted and you can see that recovery is a lot quicker and they bounce back. Um, yeah, one of the guys that I'm coaching is like he can just train the house down, you know, um, because he's just got it down pat. So I think when it's, you know, when it's easy and when you're not stressed about it, that's when it becomes um, the inflammation's down and and you can see the rewards from it. Yeah, and I think uh, the other thing is is what we're seeing here is, is you know, we can go ahead and say it all day long. The athletes, um, both ourselves and our athletes, are seeing it and doing it, but, but we really do need to have it followed up with good scientific data to, to show it, but that takes time. Right, Marita? Yeah, it takes a long time. Yeah, yeah, we all we all know yeah, that. Several years. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I guess it's so. Tell us about what your um, sorry, go for it. Yeah, I was just saying that's the I guess the frustrating part for us as a sign as scientists that it, it does take such a long time to sort of come out um, with the results, but at the same time we're better off taking a bit more time and being sure of what we're going to say than sort of jumping the gun and uh, coming up with something and then proposing guidelines for people, which could potentially in the end be completely wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so now let's talk about what you're currently doing. Uh, so currently in the, uh, so I'm part of uh, Dr. Keith, Bars Lab and uh, also work uh, in tight collaboration with Professor Sue Bodine. Um, so uh, both are... This is at UC Davis, correct? This is, this is at UC Davis. Um, so both labs are very interested in looking at um, basically the aspects um, that result in uh, muscle loss. So at the moment, we're particularly looking at uh, ageing as the main sort of, uh, I guess, condition. Um, so looking at, you know, what aspects result in muscle growth during the lifespan and then basically um, what can you do to prevent that loss uh, during the later life. Um, so 
obviously, you know, that's not sort of my broader interest that uh, I'm interested in, but obviously from my personal experience with the ketogenic diet, um, I obviously got started to thinking, well, could this diet be uh, important for, for muscle growth, maintenance, uh, and uh, maintenance of function uh, during the lifespan and especially with aging. Um, so... Uh, I was lucky enough that there's another researcher um, at UC Davis, uh, John Ramsey, who at the time was actually doing a longevity study uh, with some some mice that uh, they they had on a I guess uh, a typical um, rodent diet, which was um, around 17% fat, 18% protein, and obviously around 60% carbohydrates, which is typical, and then looking at that compared to sort of a, a low-carb, uh, similar protein, and then because in uh, rodents you need to get the protein levels a little bit lower to get them into uh, nutritional ketosis, uh, they also had a third group which was basically 90% fat and 10% protein and pretty much no carbohydrates. Uh, so I was lucky enough uh, they had some mice that um, they they didn't need for sort of anything else. So I sort of uh, I grabbed um, the remaining mice that they, they had. So there's sort of two cohorts that um, I've been looking at. Uh, one, so both cohorts uh, were started on the diet at 12 months of age, so uh, I guess adulthood. Uh, middle age for for a mouse, uh, and then uh, one cohort was basically put on the diet for about fourteen months, so getting into old age. And then the other one, we um, collected muscle samples from after a shorter period of about four months. So um, the most striking thing uh, that we have seen so far is in the after being on the diet for a longer period of time, so the, the mice that were on it for about 14 months, is that uh, muscles that we typically see um, atrophy, uh, the gastrocnemius, uh, the TA, uh, tended uh, to have better maintenance of muscle mass on the ketogenic diet when you compared it to the, the control. So when I saw this, this um, got me quite excited. Um, because um, I, I had a theory that we potentially wouldn't see any major changes on a shorter period of time, but once you're sort of on the, the while the animals were on the diet for a longer period of time, it looks to see, it, well, at this point, it's, uh, it's looking favourable that the diet uh, potentially uh, is involved in maintenance of muscle mass um, and uh, some other things that uh, have also been measured on, on the mice from John Ramsey's group was um, some muscle strength parameters and um, cognition. And these are also um, higher in the ketogenic mice when compared to the control group. So there seems to be potentially a... Um, a maintenance of not only uh, muscle function but neural function and that sort of goes in line with what we've uh, typically known of the diet uh, coming from its use as a, um, I guess, a, a treatment for, for people with epilepsy.
Yeah, epilepsy, Alzheimer's, MS, um, yep. the neuroprotective factors. Yep, yep. Um, so, actually, as of, as of this week, I'm um, I'm cutting up some of that muscle and starting to look at um, particular things that we we notice about aged muscles. So, uh, one of the things that we in another study um, that we've been noticing is that there's changes in the structural proteins uh, of the muscle, which are important for transferring force um, along the muscle and towards the ligaments. So this is sort of, I guess, um, this is where um, the extracellular matrix, so the, the part outside the cell, which is sort of connected to the, the cell membrane, is important. So it's not just... Um, force that is transferred along the muscle. It's also force that is transferred up out of the cell and into the extracellular uh, matrix. So one of the things that we're sort of found or thinking that's important for um, maintenance of strength with, for muscle is uh, collagen. So um, one of the things I, I'm looking uh I'm, I'm going to actually be studying this week. This is actually how hot off the press it is, is that um, the muscle samples that are, I've got, I'm going to be looking at uh, collagen synthesis um, as one of hopefully a potential marker of um, improved maintenance of muscle strength. Some research that is starting to come out now is that the, the collagens are very important for... Uh, force transfer and maintenance of muscle strength uh, with, the, with the aging muscle. So um, there's a German researcher, I can't remember his name now, but they're basically um, uh, showing that if you um, do resistance exercise in rodents and cause a hypertrophy, but you use an inhibitor of collagen synthesis, you still get the muscle hypertrophy but the increases in muscle strength that should come with a hypertrophy are blocked. So wow. collagen, collagen seems to be a very important uh, aspect of um, improving muscle strength. Um, so um, I know a lot of people when they go to the gym and they you know, like to look at themselves and see their, their muscles growing, that it's, it's not just about the size of the muscle, it's, it's the structures inside and around the muscle which are also important for for function and um, the thing to remember is that there is a, there's a lot of uh, studies out there um, that suggest that physical performance is the most robust bi biomarker of the aging process and the accelerated decline in physical performance uh, mostly in the lower legs um, is one of the the most important uh, marker that tracks accelerated aging uh, of the muscles. So, um, when yeah, it's quite amazing, it... isn't it? We we actually just did um, the naughty nutritionist was telling us um, last week about how she um, all all the components of broth and how the collagen and those sorts of things in that and how important it is in um, the diet. So this, yeah, this is quite amazing that it's come come to light. Yeah, and um, 
it's very exciting, I guess, for me as a, a muscle physiologist because, um, you know, it's not just, um, you know, uh, muscle size, obviously, it is important because there are a lot of studies showing the correlation between muscle size and function and longevity. Um, but it doesn't always explain um, the functionality of the muscle. So, you know, there, there's plenty of instances of, um, you know, there's things that you can do with rodents that you can, can't do with humans where you can basically knock out a protein or uh, basically increase the levels of a protein, you know, to, you know, ultra-physiological levels and see massive impact increases in muscle size but when you then functionally test the muscle it doesn't actually result in similar improvements in muscle strength so um, there's many things at the cellular level um, that are important when uh, the mu when the muscle is um, exposed to a stimulus there needs to be changes in obviously um, the the mechanistic um, proteins involved in muscle contraction um, and the scaffolding around the muscle to make sure that it, it basically transfers force correctly um, but also protects it from damage as well. That's where the, the collagen matrix and the myofascial tissue are just so key. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, um, just to, I, I just had a thought about that. Would this be sort of uh, what you're talking about here in terms of muscle function? Could this apply to why a lot of like bodybuilder types, they, they get this tremendous muscle hypertrophy of, of type one fast twitch muscles, but mm -hmm. yet, you know, they have power for one or two or three reps and then they're pretty much done. Um, mm hmm. Is that is that sort of your thinking there too? Yeah, and um, there's been uh, quite a bit of research of late that's come out about uh, HIT training, so high intensity uh, interval training, uh, where they've seen um, you know similar improvements in VO2 max, etc., uh, with and mitochondrial function. Um, with high intensity exercise and one of the reasons that they uh, explain this is that that type of exercise activates all of all of the muscle fibers so basically um, intensity of the exercise is very important as well so when you're only activating your sort of slower twitch uh, muscles you're not getting the uh, similar improvement in your, your fast twitch muscles. So there needs to be, I guess, that balance between activating both uh, muscle fibers. So yeah, but you um, don't want you don't want to activate. You want to sort of like provide the uh, hormesis to activate uh, the type one aerobic fast twitch muscles rather than the anaerobic um, fast twitch muscle groups. Is that correct? Um, I guess it depends on the type of, well, I guess if you're talking about performance-wise, um, what potential sport that you are, are trying to train for, um, how I sort of see it is that if you 
um, are having so basically as you go up in intensity the the type of muscle fibers that you activate uh, increases so when you're exercising at lower intensities you're only activating your well you're activating all muscle fibers but there's a high percentage of your slow twitch which are activated but as you go up in intensity you start to activate more of your muscle fibers so you got to think of your you know each muscle as a whole so as you go up in intensity more of the muscle is being activated mm. rather than part of the muscle so wow. when when you're having that uh because it's all coming from the neural activation. So um, obviously uh, neural activation is very important for muscle growth. So you know, there's plenty of models of uh, decreased neural activation. So in rodents we can do things such as denervation where you actually cut the, the neuron uh, or the nerve um, activating the muscle and you can see uh, a quite an obvious um, result in uh, muscle fiber death. Um, so basically, the more neural stimulus that you can give to the muscle, the more chance it has to, uh, I guess, uh, I'm going to put, trying to put this in layman's terms, that um, there's more chance that the, the proteins within the muscle will turn over more rapidly. Oh, neat. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I remember our discussion, I think uh, you have a wonderful story about, you know, uh, working as a postdoc in, in the Bear Lab because, you know, as a, somebody who's an academic, you know, postdocing as a researcher is sort of like that golden period where you you get to do research. You know, you're not, you know, Keith is probably doing, spending a lot of his time emails, writing grants, politicking, uh, reading other people's papers and, and not getting to science. And, and you have this, you know, you're in this wonderful sort of golden period, except that you don't get paid much, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you get to do real science. And um, I think you had a really good story I'd like you to share um, because, you know, you said that Keith's been a really great mentor, but initially, uh, he wasn't too keen on, on the ketogenic diet and didn't think it really had so much effect. So I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Uh, me and Keith have had, um, I guess, some toing and throwing and some interesting conversations about the whole ketogenic diet. And so obviously with my personal experience, whenever certain things would pop up in lab meetings about, you know, oh, you know, why is this happening or, you know, what's a treatment we could give to, to maybe see if this will help things. And, you know, um, so Keith would always, you know, I'd sort of try to put my hand up and he says, oh, is it either going to be STARS or the ketogenic diet that you're going to propose here? So STARS is a protein that I looked at in my, my PhD thesis. Um, so, yeah, I would say that um, the good thing that uh, Keith has always done is to encourage us to um, search for our, our own, own sort of niche and things that we're interested in looking at. Um, but, you know, his own sort of personal thing was um, that, uh, you know, this is your thing and... Um, he, yeah, like you said, he, he, he wasn't overly keen um, on, and I guess more of the opinion that it, it potentially wasn't going to show much. 
Um, so I, I would always joke with him that, you know, when I go back to Australia that he, he, want, he will want to keep collaborating with me um, because um, I might be on to something with the ketogenic diet. And, um, <laughs> That's interesting how he's changed his mindset, isn't it? Yeah, so as the the results have sort of come out from John's studies, so they're, they're finding the they've got three mice left, so they're, they're sort of wrapping up the lifespan or longevity side of the, the study. But uh, as it stands about now, the ketogenic mice are living about 15% longer than the control group, which is, is quite impressive. Um, and not only that, it's it's the the health span parameters that they've also measured. Um, so the the strength and the the cognitive tests that they've done on these these mice. Um, you know, you can't dispute that um, the diet is definitely having a, a positive effect. And for for us uh, muscle biologists, physiologists, uh, one of the things that is most important. Uh, for longevity is is muscle maintenance of muscle mass and strength. So if you have a treatment or you know uh, a lifestyle which is resulting in an increased lifespan, you've you've got to start thinking well, what what effect is this potentially having on the muscular system, which um, correlates very strongly with longevity. Well, and this this kind of actually I'm thinking this actually kind of supports my my empirical premise that when you take an athlete, the, the combination of a, a fat ad, adapted physiology with exercise is extremely powerful because didn't you say that some of the experiments you're starting to do are, do, are combining exercise with ketogenic diets and longevity? Well, that, that, that will be the next step because um, um, exercise itself is known to improve longevity. There's a researcher at McMaster in Canada. Um, I won't try and say his name because I'll just butcher it being an Australian. Um, <laughs> but basically he has some mice uh, that is it, are... Is it Asian or Indian? Uh, neither. Uh, I'll try and say uh, Tarnopolsky, so I guess it's a bit more Russian. Um, so um, basically what one of the experiments that he did was um, there's a particular type of mouse that ages um, at twice the rate of um, the normal mice. And so what the experiment that he did was he, had, he put half of the mice, just kept them normal in their cage, um, just doing their normal cage activity. And then the other, um, he basically ran them every day on a, on a running wheel. And basically exercise resulted in, um, in increased longevity. So the, And the two mice, when you looked at them, um, after a certain period of time, the ones that were just left in the cage looked old. They had grey hair. They were all you know, musculature was all withered. But the ones that were actually exercising looked like a normal mouse. So exercise itself is a, is a powerful um, treatment and results in a better health and longevity. So I'm starting to think now, well, if you can combine the ketogenic diet with exercise, are you then going to have an additive effect? 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we believe so. So, yeah. So now you have Keith pretty well on board with this whole thing and kind of really um, excited about it, don't you? Yeah. Well, I hope so. <laughs> you you're never quite sure that uh, PIs like to keep things close to their chest, but um, <laughs> he's, he's definitely more enthusiastic about it than he was at the start. Yeah. Has he changed his lunch um, his lunches <laughs> yet? <laughs> Not that's not, usually the first step, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, not yet. But uh, he has asked the question of uh, what do I eat on a ketogenic diet? So um, yeah. he's starting to ask questions about it that he, he never was before. So we'll see. I'll, I'll keep an eye on his lunchbox. Okay, yeah, well, super, <laughs> super. Well, I think we ought to wrap it up. Anything else that you'd like to kind of close with, Marita? Like to give the audience something, you know, from your uh, research that kind of, you know, kind of would be indicative of the direction things are going, um, you know. Uh. Uh, I guess uh, for, for me, I'm, I'm definitely a person who believes that, um, I believe in epigenetics. So, you know, everyone comes with a, a certain uh, set of genes and if you expose those genes to a certain environment, the right environments, um, you will get positive effects. So the the best thing that you can do is just to to give things a try. And I know at least, you know, from, from my perspective, the two things that I uh, research and are interested in most, exercise and nutrition. Exercise, uh, any form of exercise is shown to be beneficial. Um, Dietary-wise, I'm uh, obviously a bit more biased towards this um, but for me the ketogenic diet works and you, you just got to look at the the prevalence of you know metabolic diseases you know in the US Australia you know a lot of the developing countries you know the US 50% of the population have pre diabetes or all diabetes so you know half the population are carbohydrate resistant so um, if you you just got to think if if you put yourself in a situation, especially dietary, in, in a position where you're in an environment which is uh, beneficial for the genes that you have, um, I have no doubt that you know health-wise, um, you will reap the benefits. Yeah. Now, one of the things I want to kind of context here, though, um, for a lot of the listeners, is a lot of people have to kind of do their homework about where they are before they start a ketogenic diet. Because if you have an underlying condition or you have a lifestyle that's highly stressful, mm-hmm. um, it's going to make it really tough to, to segue into um, a, a more ketogenic physiology and ketogenic lifestyle. So really getting educated about it and, and getting educated about that holistic picture, which is what we do at OFM, Mm-hmm. So that, you know, people recognize if they have an underlying condition that's preventing them. Because if you have an underlying condition, your body's stressed and, and you, you know, you throw in the, the stress of, of taking away the carbs you're addicted to. It may be uh, to a point that, you know, getting into ketosis isn't quite that easy. Or if you have a chronically stressed lifestyle and you're overthinking it or you have or you're just a type A person who combined with your lifestyle kind of mm-hmm. is always stressed. Um, you really got to do your, your, your homework and soul searching so that you can 
you know, vet those things so that you are in a place where you can get uh, fat adapted or, or in ketosis. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, going onto the right forums and the right websites like yours to get, to get the correct information um, is definitely the first step. And, um, you know, it's, it's not easy um, in the world that we live in today. I mean, it's a lot easier to, you know, grab your, your prepackaged processed foods um, in the supermarket. But the thing that you've got to remember is um, once you um, – you just got to make that commitment at the start. And then um, I've just got to say that as you, as you go along, it gets easier because you get to know, you know the things that you can eat. And I actually find shopping, food shopping, the, one of the most easiest things that I do now because there's only, you know, two spots in the supermarket that I go to. Oh, and, and they're usually the outside <laughs> aisle. Yeah, meat, meat and veg. <laughs> yeah, you've got to walk through yeah. all the crap, past all the crap first before you get to the actual real food. So um, it's just um, time and um, getting the right information and you'll be right. Naomi, anything, yeah. any other questions you have for Marita before we close? No, this has been a fantastic podcast. Thank you, Marita, for your insights. And we'll look forward to the results when they come. Yeah, yeah. No, we look forward to the talk you're going to be giving at the Keto Games Conference here in early October, because no doubt you're going to have yeah. even uh, more information uh, to share with us, this cutting edge information. Yeah, well, I'll be trying to slam in a, a bit of lab work in the next couple of weeks, so I've got a little bit more to present, so we'll see. All right, superb, Marita. Thank Good you luck. very much. You are listening to Food for Thought, the OFM podcast, sponsored by Vespa.